Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey. Aurora's not with us today, so I'm on my own. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. The interview today is a special Halloween edition with author M.M. Dryman, and she has a spectacular take on the Salem witch trials, and yes, it involves Lyme disease. M.M. Dryman is a historian and writer who lives on the coast of Maine. She has an extensive background as a museum educator and curator. She has interest in the landscape, change, history of witches, Scotch-Irish culture, historic foodways, and is a Lyme disease and autism advocate. Ms. Dryman has a master's in American and New England studies and is in the process of writing her PhD dissertation. And here's my interview with M.M. Dryman. First thing I want to know, just to let everybody get to know you a little bit, is where did you do your undergrad work? Okay, my bachelor's is uh, from Rutgers University. Oh, no kidding. In New Jersey, yeah. And where were you born? Are you from Maine, or how did you end up in Maine? Oh, no, no. I, I was born in New Jersey. I'm in, uh, I'm a, well, su- near Sussex County, right on the border between Morris and Sussex County. Is what? Little town called Milton, New Jersey. I think I've been through Milton. Uh, it has a beautiful park. Um, one of the the county parks is there. That's our old family land. And then in Rutgers, you studied environmental uh, history, sociology, sociology, sociology. <laughs> ah. And then where did you go? You got your master's, I take it. Um, My master's is in American and New England Studies, and I got that from the University of Southern Maine. Okay. And now you're working on... And I'm a a doctoral candidate uh, at the same university at the Muskie School of Public Service. Oh, very cool. So I I downloaded the Kindle book. And started, oh, okay. And started reading it. It's quite impressive. Oh, thank you. You put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears it into took, this. It uh, took five years of work. Well, it began as my master's thesis ah. and then became a book. And so you explain in the introduction that you also had Lyme disease. Yes. I... My career was in uh, working at historic sites, historic farms. I was at a place called Waterloo Village in New Jersey. I was at another historic farm in New Jersey. And I contracted uh, Lyme disease, you know, while working at a historic farm. And how bad did you get it? Did you catch it early? Did it get neurological Uh, symptoms? I had it at the time when they were kind of trying to figure out what to do and how to treat it. They actually were very hepped up on it. They took my tick and they sent it to Yale and had it tested, you know, back in that day. So um, the thing with Lyme disease and, and being in that kind of an area is that you can get it, you can find ticks on you almost on a daily basis. So 
uh, it might be that one of the times we caught it right away and I had the two weeks of antibiotics and seemed to be okay. But eventually I got to the point where one morning I woke up and I couldn't, I basically couldn't get out of bed. And um, it's kind of, that's the dividing point. You know, it's like you have one life and then you have your post-blime life. Right. It's not quite the same. No, it's <laughs> so, not. <laughs> no, and, and I, uh, I, uh, you know, gave had to give up my career as a as a museum curator. Oh. And then, uh, but then decided to go to school and become a writer. How about that? As a as a little aside, we have a small herd of American milking devons on our farm. Did you? Oh, know, how lovely! Do you know what yeah, they are? are? Yes, I do. That's that's a historic breed. That is um, actually some of the first cattle in uh, Maine, I believe, were devons. Although they brought some, they called them Dutch cattle, which I think were the whole what we call Holstein today. Although they were very different back then. Uh, but those are, yeah, the West Country people brought their Devon cattle with them when they could. Yeah, they're they're beautiful animals. I'll put a a link to a few photos of those on on your interview page. I think people uh, will I like do them. that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And why do you choose that? Why did you bump into that breed? Or it's my father-in-law's project. So he. Oh, okay. He grew up in Brooklyn and as a young boy would spend summers on a dairy farm upstate. Uh, okay. And so he always had in the back of a mind, his mind that he would like to do this. And he became a missionary and was stationed in South Africa, uh, Zululand, uh, that part of the mm-hmm. world. And mm-hmm. when he retired, that was his dream to have a, a few acres and, and some cows. So my wife and I ended up with a few acres and he's got, he lives two miles down the road and comes visit his cows every day. So after a lot of research, he decided that was the breed that he wanted to, to get involved with and, and help continue the line. Um, yeah, that, well, that's what I'm saying is those, that's one of those heritage breeds that will die out if it's not, you know, if there aren't people there really to, to foster it, it continued survival. They seem to have uh, a, a new. There was the initial uh, organization that really brought the herd, the national herd, back from the brink, and there seems to be mm-hmm. a new generation of leadership. And the, the it's not nearly as much danger as it was twenty years ago, and, and seems to be growing quite well. The demand for oh, that's good. yeah, the demand for grass fed animals has really boosted yeah. the the Devon genetics because it does so well uh, converting grass yeah. into energy. It doesn't need grain that's at all. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. You're in, you get bit by a tick, you get horrible Lyme disease, you feel miserable, your life changes, mm-hmm. you be, go back to Absolutely. school. And so where, where do witches come in? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, you know, you hear about the witches and I've been to visit Salem and we have, um, I have an ancestor that was, uh, she was imprisoned during the, in 1692. 
So it's kind of always been a, a background there, you know, theme there. But I never really thought about it or, or did much about it. I had Lyme disease. I had a lot of the neurological symptoms. And so I had ex- I had gone through this experience. And then one day I just, you know, I, I love to read. So I bumped into one of the descriptions of the experiences of one of the afflicted girls from Salem. And as I read it, I said, oh, yeah, I, I know what that's <laughs> Or, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's that. Oh, yeah. Um, so it kind of piqued my interest. I got very interested in reading the um, the accounts from people that had experienced the witchcraft afflictions, uh, not just at Salem, but anything I could find. And also the descriptions of, of witches. So as anybody else... Older people. Has excuse me, has anybody else got into the the witchcraft and the witch trials from a medical point of view before? Or are you kind of one of there, the first? There are have been other theories. One of the most popular that has actually been on T V is the idea that they ate or got bread. Uh, a lot of the you know, a lot of people will say it's some sort of conversion, you know, one of the psychological type mm-hmm. disorders. Mm-hmm. But like mass hysteria, that kind of thing. Oh, right, but that's um, that's more sociological rather than medical. Yeah, um, I think that they tend to think, oh, these were just, uh, you know, attention-seeking liars, basically. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's because we don't believe in witchcraft or right or witches too much anymore. You know, the witch is not a potent and powerful force in our society. Well, I I have, uh, in reading your book, I have uh, uh, an addendum to the, the, the witch story, and uh, I'll just substitute the word quack for witches, and the, the, the witches these days who are being uh, metaphorically burnt at the stake are some of these doctors treating Lyme disease. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. With the same kind of vehemence, or it's not just the doctors. It's it, it's gotten better, but anyone that happens to um, to you know have the audacity to complain that they're that you know you're taken seriously for the first two weeks that you have this, but if the symptoms don't go away, um, if you complain that you're not being taken care of. They really did turn out the, the bulldogs on you, that's for sure. Yeah, we've and all... I've been through that. I've been, you know, uh-huh. after my book was published, you know, I was very well harassed. Re- were you really? Sure. Oh, yeah. I, I was threatened. I had a fairly prominent NIH person uh, threatened that I would never get my PhD. No kidding. That he had the power and he was going to be sure. And going to use it. Kill, yeah. Kill which, the witch. But but between 2008 and now, when I say that Lyme disease is an old disease that's been around for a long, long time, mm-hmm. now people say, of course. <laughs> because... So much has, you know, more information has come out. Right. But when I said that in 2008, people said, you're nuts. Yeah. 
You know, so you're yeah. a lawn nut because you think that people had this affliction in the past. And if you look, you might be able to find, you know, um, people suffering from a similar type affliction, but they called it something else. Right. Right. Well, that's... And it depends. It's, that's, that's that's the way the the bureaucracy works or or this mindset works is they fight you well they laugh at you first and then they fight you and then after the predominance of the science shows that you were right all along they said oh yes we knew this all along they pretend it never happened it's so mad yeah yes <laughs> and interesting yes it is now also yeah. let's I want to introduce kind of your the history of the witches and and Lyme might go even further back than Salem and the Northeast U.S. And I want to introduce that part of your thinking and your research by telling you a little story about my my mom's family is from northern Italy, Lake Cuomo area, and there okay. and there were a couple of witch hunts. They're about several hundred yeah. years apart through there, and I was always yeah. I was always interested in that and um as as a kind of family history type thing and now that you bring up this i I kind of fallen into the mass hysteria and scapegoating and just things went wrong so they went after the weak and the susceptible in society just to 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 feel better about themselves but now that you bring in this angle of maybe being infected by lyme disease it makes so much sense yeah, if you in my book, I have a couple of maps that are, um, you know, there's a geography of witchcraft, mm-hmm. and there's also a geography of Lyme disease in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that comes across in the Kindle edition as well as in the book, but um, yes, there were witch hunts in northern Italy, and today it is considered, you know, it has. Um, southern Italy doesn't have much in the way of Lyme disease, but uh, northern Italy up by the mountains and in that area is a fairly sizable, um, looks like a fairly sizable region that has a higher incidence. And I think I have a list somewhere, but that, yes, northern Italy has Lyme disease now and, um, probably had it back then, depending on what the land, what was going on in the landscape and all the other complex factors. Yes, that's another interesting part of of your writing and and your theory is that really these witch events were a confluence of various factors. And why don't you explain to me, help me understand that a little bit better. Uh, Well, you have, you know, social as well as as, um, environmental factors that, you know, you probably have to have at least you know, to, today the social factor is uh, it's a it's a disease, but in uh, in near Lake Cuomo, Italy, in you know fifteen hundred, the social factor would be that it was seen as witch affliction. You see what I mean? We 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 deal with things a little bit differently than they would have back in back in the day. For instance, if you know you're quite close to the the little cluster of of um, sick girls in Leroy that turned up a couple of years ago and ended up on television and that sort of thing? Yes. Okay. A couple of those girls tested, even with the really bad tests that we have for Lyme disease, Mm -hmm. 
tested positive. But um, today we didn't go, oh, talk to the girls and then go, let's find the witches. Right. You know what I mean? Instead, we, well, it's a mystery or it's conversion disorder or, you know, we tried to find a medical. Right. Um, and, and, that's how our society functions. And usually uh, I, I talk about our society has been doctor filled. We look for a psychological cause for stuff we don't understand. Yeah, that's right. So it's conversion disorder, yeah. even though, you know, uh, and, and actually without treatment, the conversion disorder people seem to have, you know, slowly gotten better. But it'll be interesting to see where they are 10 and 20 years down the road. And the girls that were treated with antibiotics seem to be getting better. Right. They're not having the seizures and they got to graduate from high school, you know, that sort of thing. But again, it'll be interesting to see where they're at 10 to 20 years down the road. Right. Well, I believe Dr. Bevenzi was the doctor uh, who kind of tested them and treated them. And she is within an inch of losing her license right now. She is the, oh, really? she's the scapegoat for the medical community. Uh, they're going after right. her. Now, but, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. If you go back, okay, now let's talk about Uzi, the, the ice mummy from Northern Italy. Yes. That they, they've, they've, you know, he's like supposedly the oldest, uh, how old is he? Let's see. It's How many thousands, thousands of years right? ago? You know, yes. Um, let's see. It's, it's interesting because one of the theories that they have for him is, you know, he has these little two tattoos. Right. On his body, on the, on, that are apparently on the, uh, ac- acupuncture marks or. That's what the acupuncturists are all excited about. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, he's also, I think that he may have been, again, here's a society that is suffering from Lyme disease. He may, they think he may have been, you know, had the acupuncture might have been one of the treatments, although some of the, the, uh, things that he had with him were medicinal or they, um, uh, there's different things that they, that are maybe medicinal or hallucinogenic as well as whatever they thought it was. But he also, I think he may be like the, the body people that are being scapegoated for problems. Ah. Uh. Okay. Because he had a bear skin hat. And he had, uh, what else did he had? He had a, a copper axe. Mm-hmm. And those are two very, um, magical kind of, uh, items from, from that time period, we really? think. Yes. And it's interesting that he was killed, but nobody took him. It seems like nobody touched him. Right. He was, he, he was, was inj- he was injured. They found him that he had injuries, right? Yes, he had, he was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the murderers didn't take this extremely, extremely valuable, uh, copper axe, hmm. uh, which, you know, which, which was also considered to be a magical thing at the time because it was just the beginning of the copper age. And they had just figured out, you know, how, how to do that. And the bear has very, um, very strong magical potent 
um, attributes because it it hibernates. It dies in the winter and then uh, is reborn in the spring. Uh, so there's a whole bear cult that he may have been involved in. I don't know. But you have to kind of go into that survival and try to figure out how they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And it may not be rational to us. Oh, of course not. Yeah. But it's rational to, to them. Right. Right. It, yes. Does that it, make sense? No, I, I understand completely. It's uh, yeah. th- their world. We don't understand it, but within itself, it has a, a very tight logic. If you're able yeah. to, to step outside our own, prejudices and step into theirs for a moment. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we've got kind of this life, not lifelong, but uh, long lived disease. And I think you've probably come across those articles that, that are stating that Lyme disease has been with us since the beginning of time, essentially time on the planet that it's millions of years old. Well, they found that tick with these proto-borrelia in them that are, what, five, no, 15 million years old? Yes, I think it was 15 million, yep. Yeah, incredible. So, and and you also have this idea that the bacteria and our culture has co-evolved. Right. So how do you, how do you come up with that idea? That's another amazing idea. Um, because the um, if if you're fighting off the bacteria, it depends on what stage along. But it, today we call it Lyme disease, and it may be in uh, 1900. It might have been behind some of the people that had this neurasthenia, which was another you know ball in your head type. Disease, but some people were really sick from it. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to 1692, and then uh, back to 1400 or whatever, when the church decided that witches were actually dangerous, and you call it witchcraft. And a lot of times it's because it has these neurological symptoms that are magical. You know, they're, they're how do you understand that it feels like ants are crawling under your skin? Ah. Uh. Or, or that you're hallucinating. Or that you're hallucinating and, you know, feels, I, I, from, I know when I had Lyme disease, there were times where it felt like somebody was tapping me on the back. And I would turn around and nobody would be there. <laughs> and now, if I didn't know that I was sick and that I had this disease, you know, I would think that something magical had happened. Or if I, if I was in a different century. Right. There'd be a ghost tapping on your back or a spirit or something like that. Or a that. witch. Or a I mean, witch. that's one of the things that witches do. They they hold you down. They hit uh, you. They, you know, they do that sort of thing. Sort of alien abduction type of stuff? Uh, I don't know about alien. <laughs> but that's <laughs> well, that's, so the people who are <laughs> abducted by aliens or claim to be abducted by aliens tell stories like that, that they're held motionless and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, the, the being held, not being able to move is one of the, is yeah. one of the um, symptoms of uh, bewitchment. And one, how, one of many. And how about with and Lyme that was disease? Do, do people have well, that experience disease, with Lyme disease, not being able to Lyme, move? With Lyme disease, it's kind of, um, 
if you get neurological Lyme, you're going to have all these kind of odd type symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and and you're going to think that it's depending on where you are um, in time, you're going to interpret it different ways. Yes. So let's take all this back. What? And this is the title of one of your chapters. What happened in 1692 in Salem or around Salem? Okay. Um, there's terrible drought. You, you'll find in New England history, there's a few terrible drought times, and that was one of them. And they're usually associated with warfare. Hmm. So you have a, a war going on north of you up in Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a terrible drought, which what happens in drought is that mice and deer and animals tend to head towards the rivers where there's water. Okay. In Salem, that's in western Salem. And then you have, oh, the other thing that's, that's not happening that usually happens back in the day is the men are all off fighting. And they're probably not burning the woods. They used to burn off the leaves. Okay, just to keep things clear, but, yes? Yes, that's probably not being done for a little while, for a couple of years. So you have uh, ticks. You have, well, deer, mice, ticks, and everything sort of concentrating in that western section of Salem. Right. And then you have this cluster of girls that are, are living or visiting that same area who come down with uh, the witchcraft affliction. And at first, they don't know what, you know, what they've come down with. It takes them a while, and then they decide it's witches, and they start looking for the witches. And the people that they look for are old, socially outcast. Sarah Good, who probably spends a lot of her life wandering through the woods, she doesn't really have a home. Hmm. So you have a, a set of younger folks and then a set of kind of older folks that get involved in this whole tarada. And uh, in both cases, the afflicted and the witches, they do a pretty good job of examining their skin because they're looking for either devil's marks or witch's tits. Yes. So I found this fascinating that you pulled this out of the history, and it makes so much sense. So explain what these Yeah, the devil's were. mark, the, the devil apparently, when you, if, when you became a witch and pledged yourself to the devil, he would mark you sort of like the brand on the cattle. That's how it was described. With the devil's mark. And they they would, you know, look for these marks on the witches. But it happens that also the girls, the afflicted girls, have marks on them. The way the way they look in some cases, they talk, it looks like a round, a bite mark. They, they describe it as a round bite mark, red on various parts of the skin. So it sounds like a bullseye rash. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that the devil's mark becomes... Um, part of the historic tradition and it's the the bullseye rash. And that's also found 
in the the witchcraft annals in uh at least in England and in Europe in some parts of Europe. The devil's mark is part of the whole witchcraft thing. It can't be separated out. Now, in your research, did you come across an illustration of the marks? I I have one. Um, the one woodcut that I could find has a picture of a mark on someone's foot. And that's the best I could do. And is that in the There's book? There's lots of descriptions. It's, uh, yes, it's oh, in the book. Okay. There's lots of descriptions. They're usually described as a round red, uh, often described as looking like a bite. Right. So it's a round kind of circle, circular mark. Although one, you know, they're different, different types, which is, you know, the, the, the bullseye rash looks different, different times. Right. You get the, one. Exactly. And the rash can, can, just be a regular-looking raised rash. It doesn't even have to be a, a bullseye, does it? No, and, and in one case, they described the girls having like a round mark that looks like the um, the skin of an orange. Huh. Okay. And they also described the other things that these some of these people are getting is the red streaks. So like a Barton or. Yeah, and the other one is it looks like um, somebody has picked their skin with an at all, like red red dots. Uh, so this was a big part of the the identification of witches is that you had a Lyme disease or other infectious rash. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's in the other in the record. If you go through all those records, you're going to find these uh, the well they're called devil's marks. But when they describe them, they're either Lyme, the bullseye rash, or some of the symptoms of the, you know, other co-infections. So, and then based on, and then I'd also like your take. So these, these witch hunts are happening in Christian communities. So, yes, uh, that's one of the social links. That's one of the, um, you know, the, it, it seems that um, the the Presbyterians in, like, in Northern Ireland and the Puritans, it seems that the, the Protestants are kind of more hepped up about witches than the, you know, at first the Catholic Church said that the witches don't have any power. Right. And that changed a little bit when they wanted to go after the Cathars. And who were the Cathars? They kind of, the Cathars are a religious sect from France. They get their own crusade. They get crusaded against. Oh, my goodness. And they end up in Germany. They, they move to Germany, those that are left. And then they, 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 that area of Germany becomes a big hot spot of, of witch prosecutions also. How about that? And so, this is much earlier. Yeah. So the the witch. So this whole idea of witches is, I don't. Know, it's a theory. <laughs> and yeah. And oh yeah. You talk about that there was a, a papal bull, uh, which is a papal uh, pronouncement about witches, and a book that was a that was the bestseller at the time, only second to the Bible. right, right, that's right, a, that's right. Sync- 
we don't, you know, we think of bestsellers now and popularization and now we've got the internet, but back then a printed pamphlet like that would have incredible power. Yes, absolutely. To shape the social consciousness of the day. Yes. And then see when the, when the Catholic church decided they were going to start, you know, prosecuting, um, there's a really, the uh, malice, maleficarum, I'm not good in my Latin, but The Hammer of Witches, yeah, that's a very popular book. And it, it also has a big long list of how to tell a person is bewitched. And if you read the symptoms, a lot of them are the symptoms of a neurological alarm. <laughs> uh, and then you go... You go and you're in the same geographical area and people that get attacked as being witches Mm -hmm. are these poor old arthritic people that can barely walk. Right. Uh, So, you know, who knows? Did they have, are they sick from the Lyme diseases in the area? Are they sick just because they're old or whatever? But that's why witches fly around on brooms. Because they can't walk? Because they can't really, they're so old and decrepit that they can't really walk. So they need a more magical way to get around and do their stuff. (laughs) You need to explain some way that cripple get around there and kill all the crops and kill off the apple trees and so forth. Yeah, because there's such such pathetic people that it would be hard to blame much on them. Because they're, you know, some like Rebecca Nurse in Salem couldn't hardly even get out of bed. She was so sick and old. Amazing story. I love how you've pulled this all together. And Mary, you've been very generous with your time. I want to thank you. And in closing, uh, why don't you give uh, people who are listening and maybe driving in their cars your kind of contact points? I know you're on Amazon and you have a Facebook page. And why don't you tell people yep, my, how they can buy your book and how they can get in touch with you? Uh, my my book is for sale um, on Amazon.com. I have uh, Disguised as the Devil is my is my website. Not my website. It's on uh, my, it's my Facebook page for the book. And I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, available for interviews. Um, this was a, has been a passion. This this whole um, researching this has has been a passion of my life, and I'm happy to share it with other people. Terrific. So, look up "Disguised as the Devil: How Lyme Disease Created Witches and Changed History" by M. M. Dryman. She's on Amazon, <laughs> and she's on Facebook. And Mary, thank you. You're an absolute delight to talk to. And it was it was fun speaking to you, and I'm I'm so happy that you've got those dove and cattle. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> you send, got it. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. Yes, do that. I would love to see that. Fantastic. All right. Thanks. All right. All righty. Bye bye. Bye bye. I really enjoyed that interview and talking with uh, Miss Drymond. It's interesting. We've all had the experience. Once you become aware of Lyme disease, you start seeing it everywhere. And she even takes that to another level and she starts seeing it in history everywhere. She might be right. Okay. If you have any feedback for us, comments, suggestions, please send us an email at feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Please like us on Facebook. Check out our Facebook page. You just search Lime Ninja Radio. You'll find it. And visit our website. I'll have links there to 
Ms. Dryman's books and uh, some other information about her. And that's LimeNinjaRadio.com. And also you can subscribe to the podcast, not miss anything, at iTunes or Stitcher. And check back with us next week. We'll be interviewing Carolyn Dean, who's an expert in natural wellness and specifically the use of magnesium and Epsom salts baths. So be sure to tune back in next week. See you soon. Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.